Hi, everyone. Welcome to Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford sitting alongside my trusted colleague, Wes Hodkowitz. We're coming to you here from our studios at Lambeau Field. <clears throat> Excuse me. Certainly hope you all enjoyed your holiday weekend. But, Wes, some sad news came through Packerland over this Memorial Day weekend. And I'm talking about, of course, the passing of the great, the legendary Bart Starr, Hall of Fame quarterback, former Packers head coach, and if there's a Hall of Fame for human beings, he would certainly be in it and uh, a first ballot Hall of Famer, I think, in that respect. Uh, Just your reflections on the news regarding uh, Bart Starr and any interactions you may or may not have had with him over the years. Yeah, you know, so it was interesting, Michael. I woke up uh, on Sunday morning and uh, got the news uh, through our messaging channels that Bart had passed. And it's difficult because, I mean, everyone knows what Bart was dealing with the last four, four and a half years. Right. Um, he really fought. He fought every single day. He fought to get back for Brett Favre's jersey retirement. He fought to be able to be here for the 50th anniversary of the Ice Bowl. Right. And every single day it was about, you know, his passion for life, helping. Uh, it, it really strikes you. And it caused me to do a lot of reflection. We we got a Cliff Crystal's wonderful obit, which is on Packers.com right now, got sent through, and our boss Duke Bobber um, said, you know, headline, subhead. We do that for every story, right? Pretty much. And it, you mentioned legend at the beginning. We're always so very careful to use that term, but as I was trying to figure out exactly what the title should be for that obit, nothing else really seemed sufficient right it just seemed like he was one of those people where that term fit he was everything he did as he was a hall of fame quarterback as i said he was a legendary leader everything he him and his wife cherry did they did together and i I don't know michael it was one of those deals where he's gone uh but the impact that he has now the lives that he's touched Few people in the world are able to ever accomplish that. Bart Starr was truly somebody special. Yeah, I mean, and just reading, as you put together over the weekend, the, excuse me, insider inbox column for Monday morning, where you gave a few thoughts and just kind of stepped aside. And uh, I'm sure there were a lot of submissions to the inbox to sift through. But you just posted a lot of people's reflections and some of the stories in there of, you know, and... There's stories that a lot of people have heard, but the thing is, you know, for each individual who, you know, encountered that, you know, well, no, I'm not going to sign an autograph on a cocktail napkin. Give me your name and address and, you know, next week I'll mail you uh, an autographed picture. Bart did that for countless Packers fans. And one of the things I do know about him, too, from people that I've talked to is that he personalized every single autograph he would put your name on it you know and and then obviously sign it he did that for a couple reasons one because that's partly his personality he wanted to get to know and he would try to remember anybody's name that that he would meet along the way but it was also his way of saying i'm not giving you this autograph so that you can just go sell it on ebay as a bart star autograph he personalized every autograph because it was for that individual and for that person and those are just 
a couple of things. Those are just the little things. When when you read through, if you have a chance to read through Monday's Insider Inbox column, a lot of really great reflections from from fans there, um, and uh, a lot of really just really touching stories of of small but meaningful interactions with an individual like Bart Starr. And that's the thing about him, Wes. Any interaction you had with the guy, he made it meaningful. He did. Uh, I really enjoyed your talking about how he personalized everything. There was one commenter uh, in the inbox that had mentioned that he had written him about this group of friends that he had uh, and, and was, you know, basically just kind of making small chat, you know, just typically like you'd send a letter to someone you idolize, especially way back when, when you didn't have those social media era and star wrote back. And I think he was, he signed football cards for each one of the kids, even though it was just the one kid, he had personalized <laughs> football cards yeah. for every single child. And the other thing that really struck me, and I don't know how much, you know, obviously with the Memorial Day weekend, how much you're on social media, but the amount of people, Michael, that tweeted out photos with star when they were children mm-hmm. uh, you know steve mariucci had a wonderful tribute i don't know if you caught that on nfl network and a photo of him actually at a packers training camp i think it was in like 1963 or something like that okay because you know his family they weren't able to afford to go to packer games so their big trip was going down for training camp and then lo and behold steve mariucci becomes the quarterback's coach for brett Favre and is suddenly you know right there having conversations with Bart Starr, his childhood idol. I think it's really important for people to read. You don't really have to be a professional athlete to be able to appreciate this, but it's about doing things for people. Yeah. Um, No matter how small, you don't know who that kid that's four, five, six years old is going to end up being. I think it was uh, was Zion Williams. Is that the the, the Duke basketball player? Williamson. Williamson. Yeah. Sorry, I'm not a big basketball yeah, fan. Yeah, that's okay. But he had mentioned a couple weeks ago, too, he signs an autograph for every kid he comes across because he was that kid, and he had professional athletes turn him down. There are so many people, Michael, in that simple gesture of star doing that that became better children, better husbands, better wives, better human beings. If we had more Bart stars in this world... It's a cliche, but it truly would be a better place. And what him and Cherry did in their extensive efforts in Green Bay, he did a lot of great things with Vince Lombardi. You don't take any of those away. But it's what he did afterwards that made him the ambassador that he was yeah. and truly made him, uh, as you said, a Hall of Fame human being. Yeah, it's, did, just, it's emotional. It's emotional to think about it. Yeah, absolutely. In your sports writing career, did you ever have an opportunity to interact with him? Never interviewed him. Okay. Uh, but uh, a very good friend of mine, you know, here's the thing is I got onto the beat. Um, Bart already was starting to, there was some rumblings of some of the health issues he was already dealing sure. with. Yeah. 2014 obviously has a stroke and, and, and whatnot. But Mike Vandermoss, uh, my mentor, uh, someone I hold in really high regard, he interviewed Star a lot, and I heard a lot of the stories through him. It's it's so funny. I mean, it's just hearing it through my grandfather and, and his experience as a player and talking to guys like Mike who interacted with him. And the other thing is, too, I remember when Pete Doherty, my former colleague at the Press Gazette, went down there to interview him. I think, honestly, it was probably one of his last interviews that he conducted, maybe the last, yeah. down in Alabama. He sat down with him. And just the way that that operation was run, he had a secretary and it was it was just like a, a small business that they had there. I mean, you just call that up. Okay, here's Bart Starr. And he set it up. He went down there and interviewed him. And just the humility that he showed, the graciousness. There were a lot of people that reached out in Inbox, too, saying, you know, they interviewed him as a young radio personality or, or writer. And just 
how gracious he was in those settings when he did not have to be. Yeah. Bart Starr, once he was once he made it, he didn't have to do all that stuff. I think that's my biggest takeaway from this is that he had this great line about how the true mark of a man, the true mark of a human being is how you treat people when they can do nothing for you. And Bart Starr is somebody that really gave back in that way. Yeah, well, fortunately, I did have an opportunity to interview him two times over the phone. I did meet him once in person as well uh, later on. But, when was um, that, just out of curiosity? Um, when I met him or when, when I talked to him? When you met him. him. Um, I met him. He, was, he came to Green Bay, and I'm trying to remember exactly what it was. It was... It was for some sort of a street naming type oh, of okay. thing that sure. was that was going on, and I just uh, I had interviewed him on the phone a couple of times in a, a couple of years prior, and he didn't necessarily remember me, and that was okay. But he didn't having, remember Mike Spofford. But, well, but having had an opportunity to talk to him on the phone, I wanted to yeah. um, I wanted to just introduce myself for a brief moment. But it's interesting because um, the first time I did get a chance to interview him on the phone, I felt really horrible about it because what it was, it was after his Hall of Fame center, Jim Ringo, had died. Yeah, so it was in 2003? Uh, no, it was 2007, 2007, actually. Yeah, it was 2007. So it was my second year here with Packers.com. And lo and behold, I actually, and very unfortunately, ended up being the one who informed him that Jim Ringo had died. He didn't know. And I was making some phone calls to write a story reflecting on Ringo's career and his life and all that. And I felt really, really bad about it. He was, as expected, he was extremely gracious about it. But what I remember the most is that after our brief conversation, I didn't want to hold him up on the phone too long. I just wanted a couple of thoughts on Ringo's career. But I could tell that as I was getting ready to say goodbye and hang up the phone, he was getting ready with his whole list of phone calls that he was going to make so that none of his other former teammates were going to find out about Ringo the way he just did. You know what, you know what I'm saying? Right, there? it wasn't like, about him. Yeah, like it, it, he, he, was, he felt badly that, that the news hadn't maybe spread as quickly as it should have about a Hall of Fame teammate. And as I said, I felt badly about uh, about being the one to tell him. The good news is then later that season, I got another chance to call him, and it was when he was going to be coming up to Green Bay to be the honorary captain for the 2007 NFC Championship game, you know, the second ice bowl, so to speak, against the New York Giants. And what I remember most about that conversation, aside from the fact that Bart was absolutely, totally convinced the Packers were going to the Super Bowl, and there was no way the Giants were going to come into a freezing cold Lambeau field and beat the Green Bay Packers. Unfortunately, it didn't work out that way. But what I took away the most from that conversation was how much he was absolutely relishing in the team's success, and that there was, again, this sort of mini revival of the team after some down years and the coaching change to to Mike McCarthy and Mike McCarthy and Brett Favre were uh, you know were were pushing the Packers back into prominence once again and he was absolutely loving every minute of it he he really really enjoyed it and it wouldn't have mattered if it was going to be 20 degrees or negative 20 degrees that day to be able to walk out for the coin toss for the yeah. NFC Championship game for his Green Bay Packers at Lambeau Field, he was really looking forward to you know coming up from Alabama that day to do that. That's why I wrote an inbox. I think it was in the Tuesday one. A lot of things happened this weekend. Um, that to me, for my money, him and Jerry Kramer are the greatest ambassadors of Packers football. I couldn't again, agree again, more. Again, I would love to get Cliff's perspective on that, but the reason I said it is it 
30-something now, is the fact that Star and, and Kramer are the ones that tied generations together. Uh, it wasn't just about what they did in the 60s or their Hall of Fame careers or anything of that sort. It was the fact that, you know, I'm sure your son knows about him. My son is going to know about him. There are so many people that have been touched by him in the spans of generations, grandfathers, fathers, son, daughters. I mean, it's just, it's incredible, Michael, when you think about that, because sometimes we lose history, right? Mm -hmm. But there was something about Bart Starr and the fact that he had that appreciation for Packers history and what it stood for and what this organization meant, that it made it really easy for anybody, regardless of your age, to just respect what that man was all about. His legacy didn't get lost in the time in which he played. It's something that endures forever. Yeah, well, it's. I tell you, it's been something these last nine months that Jim Taylor, Forrest Gregg, now Bart Starr, all between October of 2018 and now, unfortunately, have, Bob uh, have left us. Yeah, that's right. Bob Skaronsky, another one who is not in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, right. although Bart Starr, Bart Starr wanted him say, in there. would say Bob Skaronsky Bob Skaronsky does deserve to be in the Pro Football Hall I'm going to put that out there, too. I mean, Bart Starr is one of the most mild-mannered gentlemen that you've ever seen. <laughs> I'm going to put this out there because now Bart's not going to – that man got as fired up as I think you ever saw him get fired up when it came to Bob Skaronsky. Yeah. He was convinced he should be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, completely. Something to keep yeah, in mind. Felt he, felt he was maybe the most overlooked player of a uh, of a, a great era of Packer football. Yeah. Just right. throw that in there. Yeah, for sure. Well, Wes, the Green Bay Packers get ready for game day with the powerful noise-canceling technology of Bose QuietComfort 35 headphones, too. Learn more at www.bose.com Packers. Bose, the official headphones of the Green Bay Packers. And at home or here in the stands, we all know that Green Bay fans give it their all, and that takes a lot of energy. So grab a warm bowl of Campbell's Chunky Soup. Its meaty goodness fuels the greatness of Packers fans everywhere. Try the delicious classic chicken noodle soup. Just visit your local supermarket and ask for Campbell's Chunky Soup, official soup partner of the Green Bay Packers. Okay, moving on to some of the here and now with regards to the Packers. We are beginning week two of OTAs. And one topic from last week I wanted to revisit here. You and I will get a chance to see another practice and interview players in the locker room again on Wednesday this week. But one leftover topic from last week, I thought it was interesting to me how Matt LaFleur talked about the building of a wide receiver core for his offense. And what I'm talking about specifically is he said he kind of wants to get to know these guys and figure out what, what area of expertise each of his receivers has and then he says, then it's up to us as coaches to take those areas of expertise and use them in the best possible way within the offense. And now my biggest takeaway from that is that for all of the angst and discussion and questions about, well, how are the Packers going to replace Randall Cobb in the slot? Departed free agent, signed with the Dallas Cowboys, had a great Packers career. He's no longer here. I took away from that, Wes, that there may not be, when it's all said and done and the 53-man roster is selected at the end of training camp, there may not be anybody who is going to get the label of slot receiver in this offense. Do you think that's an accurate read on things? I think that's an accurate read. I thought your story really outlined that well, too, kind of looking at the skill sets of these players and also how the offensive game has changed a little bit. I go back to 2014. Uh, when you think about when Julius Peppers signed, do you remember the angst among Packers fans at the time about, hey, this guy's 
287 pounds. Yeah, how's, how does he fit? How's he going to be an outside linebacker? Right, right. And then Dom, and when we started talking to the coaches, they talked about elephant rushers and things of that sort. Let's be honest here. He was Julius Peppers. <laughs> he was going to get sacks. He was going to be successful in the defense because, newsflash, he was Julius Peppers. Now, I'm not trying to compare any of these young men to Julius Peppers, but I think sometimes we get so pigeonholed into thinking, okay, you need someone that is five foot eleven, weighs 192 pounds. That's the only way you're going to be able to replace Randall Cobb. It's not like that. Yeah. Randall Cobb had injuries in the past. Jordy Nelson had to play the slot. Devontae Adams has played the slot. I think there is a level of multiplicity to this defense that I think some people outside looking in casually haven't quite been able to pick up yet. Slot receiver is a valuable position in this league. It's the way things are now with 11 personnel and with how spread out the game is getting. You need to have difference makers inside. I think we are starting to realize you don't need to have a certain height requirement or size requirement to play in there. You need to have quick twitch, you need to be smart, and you need to be able to catch the football in traffic. But beyond that, what's the difference if it's Randall Cobb or Jimmy Graham? Nobody seemed to be putting up any gripes when Jimmy Graham was lining up in the slot last season. So my challenge is is to understand the big picture here and the fact that guys are going to be moving around. And the more that you can have those guys playing different positions, the more complex it ends up being for the defense. Yeah, the way LaFleur talked about it, he talked about it in terms of responsibility on a given play. Now the players, they have to learn the formations first, where they line up. But then it's about responsibility, and the way he put it is you may have somebody lining up in the slot position, and he may have what's called a choice route or an option route, which is where you have to read the defense and you have, say, a two-way go. Maybe you're supposed to break to the left or you're supposed to break to the right, and you have to make that choice based on the leverage of the defender in front of you. And the quarterback has to read the defense and see it the same way as the receiver. That's where the whole being on the same page line comes from. So that's one thing. But Matt LaFleur also might have a guy line up in the slot position, but he might run a go route to occupy the safety to maybe open something up on the other side of the field because the safety has to worry about this guy running right up the hash mark all the way down the field. Now, Slot receivers don't run go routes, but the only thing about slot receiver in this instance is where he lined up. What matters is the job that he's given on a particular play. And you know what Matt LaFleur is going to do? He's going to put the best guy at running the go route in that position to do that, to occupy the defense the way he wants the defense occupied. Right, exactly. Slot receivers don't run go routes. You never played me in Madden. I was was all the way slot (laughs) receivers go routes. But to your original point, yeah, that, that's exactly right. I mean, that isn't typically something you see. You see a lot of slants. You see a lot of crosses. The The thing that's been exciting, and it's hard to really lay out uh, all the things that they're doing so far through the mandatory – or the, excuse me, the voluntary minicamp that we saw and then the one OTA practice, but I, I don't know how you feel about this. It is – you're seeing different routes. Uh, you're seeing different patterns. You're seeing different emphasis of what these guys are stressing. Yeah, I don't know how much I can get into all that with some of the the liberties that you have to you know take with being allowed to watch practice, but it does look different. And what these guys are being asked to do as receivers is going to be different than in the past. And I think that's exciting because if you can if you can only go off of what you've seen with what Matt Lafleur and Sean McVay have put on film, 
it is interesting to watch. It is exciting, and it does move the football downfield. Now, you have to make sure that Geronimo Allison, these young receivers, all those guys can handle it, but when you're talking about a slot receiver running a go route, if you're getting some of these guys like MVS, let's say he's lining up there, that's four three seven speed you're looking at in the middle of the field. No doubt. All things that your defense, your secondary have to take into account. To me, that's exciting because you really don't know where all these pieces are going to fit. Yeah, and that's the thing, too, is we're going to go into training camp, and as we watch OTAs here, I don't know exactly how many receivers are on the roster, but it's a lot, yeah. right? Ten. When things get pared down at the end of the preseason, you're going to have, I mean, we'll see maybe five receivers on the 53-man roster, maybe six. We'll see how that shakes out. So at the end of the day, the guys who are the most well-rounded, you know, he said he's looking for areas of expertise. Right. He wants to know what each guy does best. But then after the thing you do best, those guys with the more well-rounded games are the ones who are going to make the 53-man roster. And then there may be there may be one or two of those guys further down the depth chart that have that one that one really, really special skill that he may try to utilize in certain ways, but then also develop that player to be more well-rounded down the road. That's just kind of how I see this playing point. out in a very in a very abstract way right now. And potentially, Michael, at least during over the last 15 years, the best example of that is Devontae Adams. Devontae Adams was very specialized during his rookie season and what he could do and what they were asking him to do. Yeah. You flash forward five years later now and the player that he's become, right. that's what they're looking for from these young receivers on yeah. this roster. Alright, well with that we will call it a wrap on this edition of Packers Unscripted. Be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team and of this week's uh, open OTA and locker room session on Packers.com. Be sure to subscribe to us and like us on iTunes and other podcast services if you are so inclined as a podcast listener. On Twitter, he's at Wes Hot. I'm at Mike Spofford, at Packers for the team account. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. See you next time.